says, could, could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every scribe, uh, and everyone a scribe by trade. That's everybody on the planet. If you took everybody on the planet, and they just started writing, and they just wrote and wrote and wrote, uh, it says, uh, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scrolls contain the uh, could nor could the scrolls contain the whole those stretch from sky to sky. There is a, no possible way that you could ever, in a million trillion billion zillion years, ever explain or comprehend the love of God. There's just no possible way. I don't think it can be done. Uh, what He did for us is is so far beyond what human comprehension can do. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Yet he did it, and we have the joy. Every time I hear songs like that, I go back to where I was a little kid, uh, walking up down the streets on my bicycle and stuff, just thinking of God back there. And I can see places back in life where the Lord was there, and, and, and he was instrumental in doing little tweaks in my life to get me to go this way and let me go that way. And, and the gracious and the mercy and the kindness that he had on a little boy that he never stopped working with, never stopped. And here I am, 64 years old, and he's still doing the same thing today that he did back then. I mean, when they say, uh, I look backwards, man, I look back there and I can see his hand moving through that whole thing. And I'm sitting there going, why would you do that? He goes, because I love you. I said, you know, I can't really understand that. Uh, it, I understand it to a, a degree that a human can understand. But boy, I tell you what, there's one of these days I'm going to get to heaven. And I'm going to get to see him the first time. I think I'm going to fall down about 100,000 times. It's going to take Michael and Gabriel on both sides picking me up and I fall, picking me up, fall, picking up, fall. Just the awesomeness of watching him do you ever read Ezekiel chapter 1 where it starts talking, I think it's also in 10, it's talking about the wheels within the wheels and, the, and, the, and they move, the, the creatures move, and then above that is the glory. And it starts, starts talking about that glory and I'm thinking, man, we're going to get up here, we're going to see some sting things. The devil tries to, to play around with that thing and to steal and use the rainbow for the, the homosexual movement. They don't even have a clue what they're getting into yet. <laughs> There's one of these days, man, we're going to see a rainbow, but when we see that rainbow, it is going to be a rainbow. Anyways, Brother Joe, I'll shut up, man. I'll let you have it. <laughs> okay, take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 28 this evening. As I get hooked up here, we'll be in Acts chapter 28. In Acts chapter 28, we're going to start reading in verse number 1. And the Bible says, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw that the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though uh, he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not uh, to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked, and when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be in church here tonight. We thank you for this book. We thank you uh, for uh, 
uh, everybody that's come out undoubtedly to hear something from you, Father. I pray that they wouldn't leave here tonight disappointed. Father God, I pray that you would please step through this nothing and do something here tonight for somebody. Father, I realize that in the day and age in which we live, Father, it's imperative that we don't waste time in services, Father, that, Lord, that uh, as we get in the pulpit, Father, that we'd have something to say. Father, I pray that you'd, again, Lord, anoint my mouth, help me to say uh, what uh, you'd have me to say tonight. I pray that it would be a blessing to somebody, that it would uh, instruct, Lord, that it would challenge, and Lord God, that you would receive all the glory. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord God, for just being so good to us as was already sung. Father, I, I want to please you tonight, and, and, and Father, I, I ask, Lord, that you'd wash me in the blood. Father, I, I pray that you would anoint the ears, Father, and prepare the hearts. And God, give us something tonight that we can, that we can take home with us, Lord. Lord, not something to make our head bigger, Father, but something that will soften our heart and draw us a little closer to you. We love you now tonight and pray that you would bless this time now as we, uh, as we start this service. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. What you see here in this passage, it's been preached a million times, and of course we know what just took place here in the, in the uh, chapter before, and they've just come through a great shipwreck, and there's been all kinds of perils and, and that kind of thing, and of course Paul, he alludes to those over in Corinthians when he talks about perils in the deep and perils of his own countrymen, and, and uh, how many days he spent in the deep, and undoubtedly uh, the, the account in which he's just lived through uh, is, is, a part of, uh, is a part of those occurrences he speaks about in Corinthians. But here, something happens in the first couple of verses of this, and it's funny because it's something so simple, but yet without it, life would not exist as you know it today. Something so, so elementary that, uh, but yet our whole society is built off of its foundation. And we find it in verse number two, and the Bible says that the barbarous people showed us no little kindness for they kindled a fire. And you know what? It's something that you realize that uh, it's got to be really important, but yet so simple because the barbarians got it. And they understood. They, they didn't know these people. And all of a sudden, they see these folks washing up on the banks of their shore. And uh, out of the kindness of their hearts, uh, they, they, they realized that the, that the need that they had at that moment was not food. And the need that they had in that moment was not medical attention. But the need that they had in that moment was something simple as a fire, a fire. You realize that a fire is a, is a basic building block of life. Without fire, you would not, uh, you would not enjoy yourself as much as you do. <laughs> okay. Fire, uh, is, is, um, is something that was used, uh, something that's been used all the way back from the barbarous people. And then as you learn to tame it and, and use it in different ways and more complex ways, you get modern society in which you have, uh, uh, you know, the way that you cook your food and the way you heat your homes, uh, being able to harness energy. Um, it was, it's been used for lighting. It's been used for agriculture. The, the combustion engine, uh, what is that? That's all fire. That's all containing this, this monster that is called fire. And you know what? Uh, in, this, in, this, in this instance here, Paul, uh, obviously in, in great need um, here, he needs a fire. You know what you and I need here tonight as Christians? We need a fire. We need, we need something to warm us up. We, we, need, we need something that keeps us going. We need, that, we need that sustaining building block of the Christian life. And if you don't have a fire tonight, uh, you're in a sad state of affairs. 
Amen? You need it. And uh, I'll tell you something. I know a little bit about fire. I know a little bit about it. I've, I've, uh, had, my, I've had my dabblings in the fire world. Um, and uh, I, I'm not a firefighter. I'm a fire starter. Uh, I don't like to fight them. Once I start them, I'd like to just let them go. And uh, somebody else can fight them if it gets to that point. But uh, like I say, I'm not much of a, of a firefighter, but I'm, I'm, I'm more of a fire starter. Uh, I don't know. Uh, growing up, we, we enjoyed uh, setting bonfires and that kind of thing. And uh, we, we, would, uh, we would have all kinds of different uh, controlled burns in the fields and, and stuff like that. It was always a, a big thing to have a pallet fire. It's a big redneck thing to do. You know, you get a bunch of pallets and you go to you know, back of Walmart or Kmart or something and you steal all their pallets that they're supposed to return. They're supposed to return those, by the way. You're like, oh, they're not free? No, they're not free. They have to pay for those. And uh, you steal them, and then you put them in your backyard, and you light them on fire, and, you know, it has a two-story fire, you know, and, and it's not a really good fire unless the fire department has to come out and, you know, give you a citation for it. But, uh, you know, fire is, it can be fun, uh, but fire uh, in and of itself is, is necessary, it's necessary. It's not, just, uh, it's not just something that, you know, it's like, oh, I'm on fire for God. It's like I'm, I'm on fire for God as if it's because I'm having a good day today, uh, I'm on fire for God. No, fire is necessity. It's not a convenience. It is convenient to have, but it's a necessity. And, uh, and, and, and Paul here, he's going to show us some things in, this, in these writings here that hopefully we'll get some help from because you and I in today's world, boy, we need a fire. We need a fire. You know, there's something about fires. You're looking at verse number two. He says again here that the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire. First thing I want you to see here by way of introduction is that, you know what, fires, they, they, they benefit people. Fires benefit, fires benefit folks. You know, they benefit other people. The fact that these barbarians knew how to start a fire, it was a real blessing to those folks that washed up on that shore. And it was, it's a real blessing for them to come in because they don't know where they're at. I mean, they've they're just been through this horrible, distressing time, and they've got all kinds of problems, and they're scared and they're fearful. Man, they don't even know what kind of people they're about to encounter on this island. Surely they've heard stories and, and all kinds of stuff about sailing on the seas and what they find on, on different islands and that kind of stuff. And, but these barbarians, they kindled a fire to show them kindness. It says that they showed them no little kindness. You realize that a person that understands the importance of fire and maintaining a fire and building a fire, boy, they can, they can give light to some other people. They can comfort somebody that's just come through a storm and a, and a mighty storm at that. The fact that they were able to get away with their lives was a miracle of God. And, there's, and some of them are swimming. Some of them are floating up on different parts of the ship and broken pieces of the ship. And yet that fire ministers to everybody no matter what. Uh, and how bad the, 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 uh, the entrance into that island was. You know what? It's, it's funny because uh, you don't even sometimes realize the stuff that, uh, the way that you influence other people by your fire that you have for Jesus Christ. You know, and the Bible says in the last days that the love of many shall wax cold. And, you know, we have, what we have an issue with today is a lot of us, you know what we are? We're cold. We're cold towards other people. We're cold towards, uh, we're cold towards the folks that we, that we should love the most. And we're hard. And we got to be careful because, you know what, people in the world today, you know what they need? They need a fire. They need a fire. You know, it's a benefit to other people. And also, it's a blessing. 
It's a blessing to you. In verse, 20, in verse 2 of the, the second part of that verse, it says, Received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. You know what? If you realize, if you've ever had somebody be a blessing to you and they came up to you and encouraged you and maybe let you warm yourself by their fire when you were, uh, uh, when, when you were having a, a bad time or whatever, you, real, you realize the importance that, hey, you know what? That fire, it benefits you as well. And just as much as you try to help somebody else, there's times in your life where maybe you're the one that's coming in out of the rain. And maybe you're the one that is, uh, you know, sitting and, and, and you don't know where to go and what to do. And all of a sudden somebody comes up next to you and they, and they light you a fire. And it's like, man, that feels good. It says because of the rain. I mean, anybody here not just be cold, but be wet and cold? That's like the worst. It's like it's just not enough to have cold air, but you have to add insult to injury and get yourself sopping wet, you know, and, uh, and you're sitting out in the rain and then all of a sudden the sun goes down and the wind starts to blow and all that, that, that sweat maybe you had on you or the rain that was on you, and it's just, it's, it's soaked all the way through your clothes. So now, like, it's like you try to get in and you get close to the fire at first, but no matter how hot the fire is, it doesn't matter because you're still wet. But that fire dries you out. You ever stood by a fire and you're all wet and you stand up and all of a sudden you just see the steam coming off of you and you feel like you're on fire? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're looking at somebody like, man, that, are they a ghost? Like, I don't, what, what's going on with this person? But uh, that's what happens. And, uh, and this thing, it, uh, it conf- they, confronted, uh, they comforted them after the storm and it warmed them when they were cold. And you want to know something? It's, it's important because folks... You living in a world right now where when that Bible told you that the love of many shall wax cold, we have, we have an epidemic of people that are just freezing. You have, you, have, uh, you, have folks, you have folks right now, when you talk about without natural affection, and I'm not just talking about homosexuals and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking with folks that don't have a natural set of morals that, and, and, they, and they allow things to happen to folks that they love or, or children that they have that's unspeakable. Amen. It's unspeakable. And you say, well, that's the world. No, it's in churches too. It's in churches too. Folks are cold. I'm sorry, but if, if, if you've been around for any length of time, you realize that some of the stuff that plagues the lost world, it's not uncommon to find it in the church. And Paul talks about that when Paul talks about, you know, um, he says, you were once these, and he talks about lost folks, and he, and he says, uh, um, and he, he goes down, the, he gives you the list of all the debaucherous things, and he says, and so were some of you. And you want to know something? You're able to do the same kind of wickedness that a lost person can do, and if you're not careful, if you don't, if you don't understand the principle of having a fire and building a fire, you find yourself freezing cold yourself sitting in a pew. You know what you need tonight? <laughs> you need a fire. <laughs> you need a fire. You know what? Because of this fire, though, look in verse number three, the Bible says, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out uh, of the heat and fastened on his hand. I don't care how, how long you've been doing this thing. You know the folks that get it in the neck the most are the ones that have the biggest fire. <laughs> The folks that seem to they say, oh, well, you know, well, they're just, they're just trying to be holier than thou. And they have, you know, they have this attitude of, uh, you know, they take pot shots at folks that aren't like them. 
And uh, you ever, you ever, uh, I don't know, maybe you were on, maybe you were the one that's in the crowd or maybe you were the one that was, you know, getting ridiculed. But however, which side of that thing you've been on, maybe you've been on both sides of it. But I know this is that there's times in your life where you're like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to get serious and I'm going to bunk, I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to start doing these things and I'm going to get this, this fire stoked back up in my life. And then just as soon as you do that, somebody comes in with a stinking five gallon bucket of water and just chucks that thing all over you. And you say, how do you know that? Because I've been doing youth camps for like 12 years. <laughs> That's why I know that. I've been, listen, I, have, I, I, could, I could literally write a book on the amount of times I've seen and come back from a youth camp where God comes and blesses and everything else and the kids come back and they're all on fire and the minute they walk in the front door of the house, it's like mom and dad just whoosh. It's like, what are you doing? It's not just that. You get through revival, you know, and you spend all the time on the altar and the tears have been shed and all this stuff has gone on and the decisions have been made and the prayers have been offered up and it's like there's that sense of like relief and all of a sudden it's like the world comes back and just whoosh, just dumps it on you. Why? You better be careful because you know what? You'd be sitting there and you're like, man, I'm glad I'm close to this fire and you realize there's something out there that wants to bite you. It wants to ruin that. You're not, you're not safe just because you have a fire. You're not safe just because you have a fire. Paul here, he's sitting there and all of a sudden something happens and everybody that was for him all of a sudden becomes against him. Everybody that used to think that, he used to think that, you know, all these people, they, they really liked me and they were for me. And all of a sudden you realize that they weren't really as for you as you thought they were. You know what I found out the hard way? I found out the hard way that the more you try to live for Jesus Christ and the more that you try to consecrate your life and do things for the Lord and do things the right way and, uh, and follow the path that God has put in your line to trod, that the po- folks around you that you think are close to you, you look back 10 years and you realize they weren't the folks you thought they were. You know, we were, in a, uh, we were in a business meeting not too long ago, and they were talking about how uh, businesses grow and talking about, you know, staffing and being strategic and your planning and all this kind of stuff. And they said that, you know what, if you're a, if you're a business, you're a small business, and you're doing, say, a half a million dollars in gross revenue every year, that means just total sales, that uh, if you want to hit five million, the people that get you to a million dollars in sales will not be the people that get you to five million. And if you want to be a $10 million company, the folks that get you to $5 million will not be the people that get you to $10 million. And they say, you know what you find out? The more that you grow, the more that you'll be, you will be changing out the folks in that inner circle. Why is that? And they said, the reason that is, is because they lack the vision that you have. They lack the vision that you have. They lack the desire to achieve more like you have, because you're the owner. And only, and the best that you can, the best that you can expect out of somebody that you pay, if you're the owner of a company, you should, the best that you should expect is 80%. That's the most that you should expect from somebody that you're hiring to do a job. Because it's impossible for them to put themselves in your shoes. And dare I say that in the Christian life, you're going to get to a place where you're like, you know what, you're going to either have the decision to make where, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and go a little bit further for Jesus Christ. I'm going to stoke this fire a little bit more because I'm not satisfied with where it's at now. And I, and I know how, how much better it could be. And the folks that you've surrounded yourself with now, 
They may not be the same people that you grow with because they don't share the same vision as you do. They don't share the same desire as you do. That's a hard thought. That's a hard thought, but it's true. That's why the Bible talks about associations so much. You know, that's why the Bible, that's why the Bible talks about, you know, uh, and pastor said it this morning, the folks that you're hanging around with now are who you become. And I say, dare I say, the, the longer I've been in this thing, the more I realize that people, they sit and they just live off coals and embers because they don't want to move any further because the folks that they're around and that they associate themselves with, they keep dragging them down. Why? Because it's just too much work. Won't you think you're getting a little bit fanatical? Don't you think that you doing this and talking like this, I don't feel comfortable about that? Why is that? Why is that? Because I'm going to say this. You know what? You can't just start a fire and let it go. Amen. If you're going to have a fire that's worth anything, you have to learn to control the fire. You have to be able to control that thing because it can get out of control. You ever seen folks that have an out-of-control fire? <laughs> I have. We were down in, uh, oh, I was probably, I was probably nine or ten. And my aunt, my aunt Lynn, she uh, decided to go off the grid. A little hippie, a little hippie. But she decided to go off the grid. And so they went and got a little piece of property in St. Regis Falls, New York. And uh, they went way out back in the woods. And they said, we're going to build ourselves a cabin. And we're going off the grid. They're going to, you know, do the, uh, they're going to have a generator out there. They'll just, all they have to do is come back and forth with gas cans and stuff like that. And you walk in this thing and it, you could tell it was a handmade cabin. Because it was kind of like a fort. It wasn't really a cabin. It was more of it was a fort in the woods, right, that they lived in. But behind this little fort... You know what they had? They had an outhouse. And, and uh, you know what you do in an outhouse. I mean, I don't have to like, describe that for you, right? And, uh, and, and they didn't want to walk too far, so they kept it pretty close to the house. You know, I mean, it's in the middle of the woods, and you, know, you don't want to walk too far away from the house to do your business in the middle of the night, because God knows what's out there. Well, long story short, stuff didn't work out between my Aunt Lynn and my Uncle Rick. And so they decided to part ways and they realized that this financial investment that they had made in the woods of St. Regis Falls, New York, was no longer of any value. <laughs> and so they did the only thing that a good redneck hippie would do. They decide to burn it to the ground. And so what do they do? They go out there and they go to the front deck. And they're like, this is going to be fun, you know. And they get out there with their torches and everything else. And they start setting that thing on fire. And eventually it got too hot. We're like, we'll just let her burn, you know. And we're just sitting there watching this thing burn. And it's big. I mean, it's a big fire. And then all of a sudden someone's like, man, there's an outhouse back there. I wonder if there's any implication. Boom! And this thing blows up. And it's like, whoa! You know, it's almost like a movie. And it's like mushroom ball goes in the air, and then this smell comes over the crowd. And it was like, what in the world was that? And it was literally the, the most, probably to this day, the most redneck thing I've ever been involved with. And that is, and that is just watching an outhouse blow up on accident. <laughs> 
you better make sure that if you're going to burn something, you better have a little bit more control than that. <laughs> right? Because you cause a big mess if you let a fire get out of control. Just ask California. <laughs> right? You want to know why they have a problem with wildfires in California? It's because they forbid controlled burning. So if you don't want to control burn, you're going to uncontrol burn. <laughs> and then you know what you're going to have? You'll be sitting in Dayton, Ohio and watching the stinking smoke roll over because, because why? No controlled burns. You've seen Christians all of a sudden just go up in flames and just a mess. And boy, they, they, leave, they leave so much damage in their wake. Why? Never learned how to control it. All zeal, no knowledge, all, all you know, he says be uh, wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. No discernment, no wisdom, constantly chopping. I got the truth, but just constantly chopping down and hurting folks. You know what? And that fire consumes a lot of people and it causes a lot of damage and it causes a lot of harm. And so... As you think about this, if you can control that fire, if you can control it, I'm going to tell you something. There's fewer things that can help you more than a controlled fire. When we were doing, our, uh, we were doing preparations for crops and that kind of thing, what we would end up having to do is uh, we'd have a field that was maybe resting and we're growing hay in it for a year or so. And then we're going to, you know, put corn on that field or something like that. And so what we would then do to help with the, uh, the preparation of the soil and everything is we would, we would burn that field off. And so what you do is you do what they call a controlled burn and you start the fire here and you start it in strategic places. You make sure you know where the wind's blowing and you know where everything's at and what's going on. And so you light that fire and you let that fire start moving and, you, and then you stomp the backside of the fire out because it's going to move towards, you know, wherever it has fuel. And so uh, you want it to move, burn that way. So you light the fire here and it's going to start to move both ways. And so you put the fire out on this side and you make sure the wind's blowing the way you want it to go. And then that fire will start burning that way. And then you set another fire here, another fire there, and another fire back there. And that way, that thing meets in the middle and it goes out. And you've burned an entire field and nothing uh, has been out of control. Now, if you were driving by, you'd think it was out of control. But it was perfectly under control. And um, I can tell you this, you better be careful on how you control your fire. Because you can let the thing go out, and guess what? The world's got a fire too, you know that, right? Peter, he gets, he gets all out of sorts with the Lord, and you know how the story goes, and he denies the Lord three times, and he's sitting in that patorium, and he's sitting out there, and he's, he can literally hear them whipping Jesus Christ down the corridor of that thing. And what's he doing? He's warming his hands. Warming his hands. The world's got a fire too, you know. The world's got a fire too. Amen. Sometimes you've got to realize it's your responsibility to build and maintain your own fire. There was a Nevada family. They thought it was a good idea, and probably was, but uh, they didn't check the weather before they left. They wanted to do a big little, you know, 
I said big little, that didn't make much sense. Well, they just took this trip up this mountain and they wanted to go with their kid and, and go see the, the mountaintop and everything else. What they didn't do, they didn't check the weather. And the weather <clears throat> on those mountains over in Nevada, boy, they can, they can, the weather can turn quick. And so they were going down a trail and, and then the snow was coming. They thought they'd put it in four-wheel drive and go a little further. And they said, you know, we'll be back before it gets dark. And, and all of a sudden that storm blew in and it just took out whatever sunlight that they had left on the day. And uh, they lost their, their way on the trail and ended up kind of going down an embankment, getting the Jeep stuck. They couldn't get it out. And it got down to 20 below zero. Mom and dad and this little, you know, two or three-year-old boy. And what they ended up doing, what the father was, ended up doing is he had some training in that kind of stuff. And he went out and, you know, uh, forged in the, in the trees and stuff. And he found some birch trees. And if you know anything about birch trees, you know that that bark, whether it's wet or not, you can burn that stuff. And there's a couple different things that he did. And he ended up uh, um, taking inside the, inside the Jeep, uh, he put the spare tire inside the Jeep and he, and he put some stuff down and in, in the, had the rim up against the, uh, the bottom and he had the tire flipped up like that so the rim was on the floor and the open part of the back of the tire was there. And what he did was he started a fire outside of the Jeep and he found some big rocks and he put those rocks in the fire and then he brought the rocks back into the Jeep and put them inside of that wheel and what it ended up doing was they were out there for two days before they found them in the middle of this massive storm, 20 below zero. And they sent the search parties out and they made phone calls and the helicopters were going over. And like I said, it took them two days to find that family. And when they finally found that family, the forest rangers came and they picked them up and everything else. And what they found is what he had done is he had kept that fire burning through that entire storm and he kept those rocks hot and he put those rocks in there because he couldn't put a live flame inside the Jeep, obviously. But he, he, they literally stayed warm inside that Jeep with those rocks inside of that tire. And they put the newscast out and they said that the fact that this family, the, the, the determining factor on whether this family lived or died hinged on their ability to start and maintain a fire. And I'll say this tonight. Your survival in the Christian life hinges on your ability to start and maintain your fire. When you say fire, what are you trying to talk? Are you trying to say that, you should, that we should be running the bases and shouting every, every service? That's not what I'm saying. Amen. Not every service is like that. I get that. Um, but you ought, you ought to have some excitement. You ought, to have a, you ought to have a tender heart. You ought to have some joy. You ought to have a little spark to you. There ought to be some things that get you riled up a little bit. It shouldn't, it shouldn't just be a bump on a log every time you come to church. I mean, you've got to have some kind of life in you. You ought to have something burning inside. Jeremiah, I mean, he, he's, of course, you know the story with Jeremiah. He gets put up in that thing and he says, I'm done. I'm not speaking for the Lord anymore. But there was this, this burning fire that he had inside of him. And he said, I could no longer forbear. When was the last time that you had that fire inside of you? And all of a sudden it just caused pressure to build and it bleed out. I can't answer that, but you can. I can tell you this. If you're going to start and maintain a fire, you know what you need? There's three things. There's a little a fire triangle. And if you don't have these three things, you don't have a fire. And this is real deep. You ready? If you're going to have a fire, you need to have fuel. What did Paul do in verse 3? Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. 
you're going to have a fire, you need fuel. You need fuel. When I was growing up, we had a wood furnace only. We didn't have gas. We didn't have electric. We had wood. How many cords of wood did you burn every year? Forty. Forty cords of wood. Every single year. You say, where'd you get it? In the woods. <laughs> How'd you get it home? We cut it up in little pieces. We threw it in a big old trailer on the back of a case tractor, and we dumped it in our driveway so that we had to split it in a reasonable time. You couldn't get in and out. And we'd have, we, it was a family ordeal. It was me, my brother, my sister, my stepdad, my mom. We'd have those big splitters, those PTO-driven splitters and stuff, and we would take two people, lift them, lift them stumps up on there and those chunks of wood up there, and we'd split that and split that, and then we'd throw it down in that, in that uh, basement there. My mom would start stacking it. <clears throat> my mom my sister would be in there stacking. Us boys would be out there splitting, sawing, and everything else. And we'd start months before winter come. I mean, winter would end, and we'd start cutting wood for the next year. And it was amazing. We were a well-oiled machine. You walk, literally, you could not enter the basement when we were done. You could go down the ladder where the furnace was, and there was maybe a three-foot-by-three-foot three section right in front of the furnace that you could come down the ladder, and you could literally just start putting wood in, in, that, in that furnace. You know what I realized? It takes a lot of fuel sometimes to keep a fire burning. But when you got like, you know, I, my wife, she hates the cold. And uh, she's just very thankful the Lord never called us to go back to New York. Because the, one of the, <laughs> a couple of years ago, we went up there in, in our van. And our van has got, you know, it's got the uh, little, you know, the temperature gauge and stuff like that. Not like it's a great feature. I'm sure all of your cars have it too. But uh, <clears throat> I thought it was fancy at the time. It told us the temperature as we were driving. And as closer we got to home, uh, it was like negative 5 and then negative 10. And then we get to like Ogdensburg and it's like negative 20. And she's like, oh, you know, like, and it's like the heat's blaring in the van and the windows are still frosting up, you know. And, uh, and eventually it got to like negative 28 or 29 or something like that. I remember when I was a kid, it got so cold up there and, and we had an ice storm in 1998. We had the ice storm of 98. There was t-shirts they made and I survived the ice storm of 98, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And there was literally four inches to six inches of ice on everything. It was insane. It was 40 below zero for like three weeks straight. We didn't have school because the diesel in the buses froze. And it was just like, it was absolute pandemonium. People were going crazy. Generators were, put, people were putting generators in their house and they were getting, you know, carbon monoxide poison. Folks are dying and everything else. And it was like, it was just insane. But you want to know what I realized is it takes a lot of fuel to keep a fire burning, especially when everything around you is so cold. And uh, if you're going to keep your fire going, you're going to need fuel. And there's just a couple different ways you get fuel for a fire. You know that, right? You either, uh, what, we, what we found out is we would chop all this wood and we would split all this wood, put it in the basement. And then what you ended up doing was you ended up pulling from what you had done in the past to feed the fire of the future. That's one way. You know, you ever done anything for the Lord where you can actually look back and see, man, and sometimes you'd be down and out, and there's just, man, you just fire is just dwindling, and it's just down to embers, and you just need something to put on there, and you can go down in your basement, and you can look at something that you've done in the past, and the Lord says, throw that on there. Amen. You know? 
I've told you a lot of my stories and stuff like that, but I'll never forget. I was just telling the story down in, in Jacksonville last time we were there, July 4th. And uh, I was down in Pensacola, and all of a sudden I was driving, walking down there passing out tracks, and, and there's this, there this family, it's like 11 or 12 uh, uh, black folks there, and they were all around, and Mom was over here, and they were all hanging out and, and partying, and they're dancing and everything else, and I had no business, <laughs> no business walking up to them at all. But uh, for whatever reason, I did, and I started passing out some tracks to them, and 25 minutes later, 11 of them folks got saved. 11 of them got saved on the sidewalk in Pensacola Beach. And I remember as I'm sitting there preaching, that mom's standing behind her. She's got her arms crossed, and she's looking at me, and I don't know if she's for me or against me. And she came up to me after that with tears running down her face, and she says, Sir, I've been praying for those kids for 15 years. And she says that they'd get saved. And she says, and you just got them all saved in one shot. You say, what is that? That's, that's, that's a wood pile for me. That's a wood pile for me. Amen? That's a, that's a big time. And you, know, you, got, you have stuff in your life, I'm sure. You say, I don't have anything like that. Well, you, you better get busy. Maybe you haven't been around long enough to, to do something like that. Maybe you're a new Christian. I'm not trying to put unnecessary pressure on you. But if you don't have that, and you can't live off that, there was winters that we would run out of wood. There's winters that we'd have to go and cut more in the middle of the winter. And because winter would last another month and a half or something like that, or it would come real early, you know? And so if you don't have it to pull from, you know what you got to do? You better go out and you better go out and find it. You better go out and find it. You got to realize is that, it, is that if you're going to learn to build a fire, Christians in here, you need to learn how to fuel your own fire. Because guess what? Somebody else can't fuel it for you. So many times I feel like we're just spectators. And it's like, if, if there's not like a, a show going on, it's like, man, I'm not excited. And I can't, I, can't, I can't have a fire burning because so-and-so's not doing whatever they're not doing. Listen, folks, you need to learn how to stoke your own fire. You need to learn how to take a log. You need to learn how to start a chainsaw. Go out and find you a tree. Cut it down and put it in manageable pieces. And be able to stick it in your furnace. Because guess what? You're going to get to a place in your life where no one's going to be around to give you any wood. I had a guy call me one time and said, I'm leaving, the, I'm leaving the church I'm in. Why are you leaving the church you're in? I'm not getting fed. PBI graduate. I'm not getting fed. I said, oh, well, how did, why, why aren't you getting fed? Well, that preacher, he's not preaching, you know, he's not preaching the stuff I heard Dr. Upman preach, and, and he's not talking about, you know, he's not talking about aliens, and he's not talking about, you know, the government, and he's not talking about all these deep doctrinal things in the Bible. I said, oh, that's what you consider feeding yourself, huh? Or uh, that's what you consider eating. I said, don't you think if, if, if that's the case, if anything that PBI taught you, wasn't it how to feed yourself? You guys in Bible college, at the very least, didn't it teach you how to feed yourself? Then why would you ever, if, if, if you know how to feed yourself, you know how to feed your own fire, then why would you ever blame it on somebody else if you're not getting fed? I know why. Because your fire is out. Your fire is out, and you don't know how to get wood. 
<laughs> you don't know how to fuel your own fire. Listen, folks, we cannot be reliant on other people to fuel what God told us to have. Because again, it's your responsibility. You know what else you need? You need heat. They said over there, he says that they kindled a fire. Kindle a fire. To kindle a fire is to ignite or set a match to. You know, friction, a lot of times, you know, in the Boy Scouts, you know, you see the little stick and they go like this and then they got the little, uh, you know, bunches of, you know, dry grass or whatever. And then they, after that friction happens and it, you know, creates heat and heat and heat and then it maybe creates a spark or, or something, an ember. And then that is what ignites the fuel that you have. You say, what is, what is our fire? Well, your God's a consuming fire. Right? And so if you don't have heat, that means you're too far away from the ignition source. Right? Anybody in here ever try to light a fire? Do you do it from 10 feet away? <laughs> no. And if you do, that means you're throwing gasoline and trying to light. You ever done that? You throw gasoline on it and then you trail the gasoline way out here and then you try to light it like that. But even then, you have to get the lighter down close to the, uh, the fuel source in order for it to ignite. You cannot ignite a fire at a distance. That ignition has to be up against the fuel in order for that fire to spark and take off. You want to know why some of us don't have a fire? Because we're too far away from the ignition source. The Bible says, draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. People say, well, you just need to get close to God. Well, how in the world do I do that? See, I, I, I'm coming to the place in my life where I'm trying, to, I'm trying to challenge all the Christian cliches that people have told me over the years. Uh, you know, we get right with God. Okay, well, how does somebody do that? You know, just get close to God. Okay, well, how do I do that? I just said one on uh, a couple Wednesday nights ago, uh, I preached on uh, that thing about standing. Okay, well, you just need to stand up for Jesus Christ. Well, what does that look like? How do you explain to somebody that, how, how do you explain what you're saying? It's just a cliche. How do you get close to God? Well, you get saved. There's a good start, right? You get saved. And then we realize that your closeness to Jesus Christ is directly related to your submission to His will. Am I right? So He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay, I'm not talking about doing anything. I'm talking, how do I get close to Jesus Christ? I get close to Jesus Christ by not grieving Him. I get close to Jesus Christ by not quenching the Spirit of God. To, having a, to, to, to present myself before the Lord Jesus Christ to have fellowship with Him. That's your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That has to do with your conduct. Okay? And the problem is, is that we allow so many things in our life and we don't even realize how bad we are. Because we live in a world where it's, everything is so convenient. I was reading through Lamentations this morning. One of the saddest books in your Bible. And I started uh, looking up what Matthew Henry had to say about some of the things that were going on in, in, in Lamentations chapter 1. And it talks about how they're in solitude and they're solitary and, and, they're, and they're reminiscing about how this great nation of Israel is now 
in tributary or in slavery to another, to another king. And how their wives are eating their own children for lack of food. And it's like, you, what, what in the world? You want to know how they got there? A little by little by little by little by little. And I feel like, you see, I see it in my own life. And, and you know what they're doing in Lamentations chapter 1? They're doing it just a little too late. They're taking the 30,000 foot view of, their, of themselves. And it's like, man, this is ugly. It's ugly. And sometimes that's what we need to do. The Bible tells you to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. You realize that your fellowship with God isn't based on what uh, you can claim liberty over, and it doesn't necessarily grieve your flesh, uh, but maybe it grieves God. Right? I'm not preaching some legalistic thing tonight. What I'm telling you is that there was a time in my life, there was a time in my life where I just do the craziest things just because I wanted to be in fellowship with God. <laughs> right? I mean, there is an innocence in not knowing a whole lot. <laughs> and it was just like you do some silly things uh, uh, to, just to, hey, uh, Lord, I, I want to be as close to you as I can be. You know what I find? I don't find myself doing too much of that anymore. That's a problem. I'm not saying that I need to go back to being immature in certain areas of my life, but I'm saying, how come, how come that willingness to do those things and, and to change parts of your life was so easy before you knew what you know now? Because you want to know, I told the kids in Sunday school this morning, you want to know the uh, scary thing for me is I realize that I can get in the pulpit and I can preach in the flesh and do okay. And just because I'm behind a pulpit doesn't mean I'm right with God. Just because I'm teaching a Sunday school class or because I'm sitting in a pew doesn't mean God's hand is on me. Amen. Because if God's hand isn't on me, I'm not close enough to the ignition source to keep my fire burning. And so you have a bunch of Christians today. They got lots of wood. <laughs> they got no fire. They've got no ignition source because we've left him way far away. And we're saying, Lord, why don't, you, why don't you light my fire? He says, I would if you weren't so far away. Because we know what separates us from God. The Bible told you. He says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. You know what, I, 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 need to take, I need to take inventory of my life and the things that I allow in my life. Not so that I can preach them to you so that you can do what, I'm supposed, what, what, what I do. That's not the basis. That's not what I'm preaching. But to take an introspective look on myself and say, Lord, should this be here or not? Is this getting me closer to you, or is this getting me further away from you? Or do you not care about having your fire? To where I'm good. Because after all, the world's fire is burning in a barrel over here, and I'm close enough to it to where I at least get catch some of that little heat off of that. So it's not so much important that I 
am as close to my ignition source as I should be. Right? Amen. Lastly, you know what you need? You need oxygen in order to start a fire. You need oxygen. You know, a little boy, he's trying to start a fire one time, and he's having a rough time with it. I don't know, uh, you ever, if you ever try to start a fire, my wife tries to start fire sometime, it's funny, because uh, she can't do it. And I just, maybe I just don't give her enough time, you know, I just got to be, I got to, you know, be the hero, you know, when I come up, honey, let me do it, you know. But a uh, little boy, he's, he's trying to start a fire, and, you know, he's read some things, and he just can't seem to get it going, and he get little, he gets some smoke, you know, and he get a little bit of ember here, and and he's like, he's trying, to, he's trying to get it going. And, you know, he put, he put the match, you know what I'm saying? Like you roll a piece of cardboard and you light the end of the piece of cardboard, you stick it in there and then nothing happens. The cardboard burns up and nothing, nothing catches on fire. Really, really annoying. And his dad is watching from a distance and he sees him struggling. And so he walks over to the little boy and he sees his failed attempts there on the ground and he says, try one more time. And that little boy puts a little, you know, cardboard piece in there and he sticks it underneath, underneath there. He's like, it's as dry as I can possibly make it. And, I, and I've got, you know, this and I've got the fire. How come this thing just won't catch on fire? He says, watch something, son. And he puts it down in there. And his dad bends over and puts his face towards it. And he goes. Whoosh. And all of a sudden, all those little things that are, you know, on the sides of those little sticks start to glow real, real bright red. And all of a sudden, he, after a couple breaths from his dad, that thing is just engulfed in flames. In Ezekiel 37, there's a valley, a bunch of dry bones there. And he asks the prophet, he says, Hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? He says, Thou knowest, Lord, I don't know. He says, They're dead and they're dry. And he says, If you breathe on them, and what happens? The wind comes. And before you know it, they're standing on their feet, a great exceeding army. You all know what sermon I'm talking about. Jim Lynch's sermon on breathe. He preaches out. Nobody can preach it like he can. And I remember being uh, in a couple spots in my life over the last few years. And I've been sitting there in my bedroom by myself and saying, Lord, I'm trying to stay close to you and I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep fuel on the fire. But God, if you don't breathe on me, I'm going out. I need you to breathe on me. And you want to know something? God will. He will breathe on you. But he won't do it in your time. He'll do it in his time. Just when you think you can't do no more, I think of the sermon he tells when, he, when Jim Lynch first met Harold Seitler. He met Harold Seitler and he says he's jingling change in his pocket. And he said, he says, uh, I don't think I can go on. And he's, and he's pouring his heart out to Harold Seitler and he says, I need you to pray for me. He says, and Harold Seitler says, he comes over to him, he says, jingling change in his pocket. And he looks at him and he, he says, get down, boy. And he gets down and Harold Seitler bows his head and he says, Lord, breathe on him. Amen. Get up. <laughs> you know what you need? Some of you tonight, 
You just need your dad to kneel down next to whatever it is you're trying to do and just Amen. breathe on you a little bit. Because I don't care how much fire you got, I don't care or how much uh, heat you got, I don't care how much fuel you got, if you don't have oxygen, that fire ain't going to light. Before I left my house, I'll give this illustration and I'll close it up. Before I left my house, I was clearing out the backyard and ripped some trees out and big logs everywhere and all the debris from the construction and stuff like that just chucked it in a big pile. And I had these massive pieces of wood, you know. And Pastor, he had already filled his, he already had massive pieces of wood all over the place. He didn't need any more. So I just shoved everything back in this, in this burn pile I had in the back of my yard and I lit that thing on fire. And uh, I remember I was, I was in the house, and I was like, man, that thing's getting pretty big, you know? <laughs> that fire's really, really going. And, uh, and the way I started it was I had, uh, I had a propane torch, and I put it here, and I put it there, and um, I had a leaf blower. You put that leaf blower in there, you know, and you just, it's like a, it's like a stinking blowtorch. I mean, that thing just, just massive flames come out and everything else, and, and I do that a few times, and I get that thing going, and Sure enough, man, that thing's, that thing's just ripping. I mean, you couldn't get nowhere near that thing. That fire was so hot. And it, it had all them big, huge, massive pieces of tree in it. You know, and once those things caught on fire, it was just like, let her go. You know, you ain't going to do nothing with it. And I remember, man, it was a week later. That thing's still smoldering. It had rained. Winds blowing through that thing. It's all muddy back there. I mean, day, night, all kinds of stuff. And I walked back there, and you thought, this thing's gone. This fire is out. And I remember kicking it around a little bit and taking my leaf blower, and I'm looking at it. I took my leaf blower, and I pointed it at the base of that thing, and I started blowing on that thing, and those embers started to get real, real red again. And before I knew it, that thing was burning again. A week later. You want to know something? This world, it's raining, boy. And the wind, it is blowing. And it's getting darker and darker and darker. And I know some of you tonight, I, can, I don't know what it is, uh, just being back and, and, you know, I wasn't here for a little while and now I come back and it just seems real somber. And it, it may be perfectly normal. I may just be, may be totally off on my discernment. I don't know, which it could be. But you want to know what it, it seems like? It seems like, man, some of you, all you got is some embers. We got a little bit of smoke trickling up. And you want to know something? You're not, you're not doing those things that you used to do. If you were to take that 30,000 foot view tonight, remember what it was like when you first got in or when you first really got serious and some things happened in your life when you first got saved? We had testimonies here the other night. What a blessing. Hearing people's testimony, how they got saved and tears running down their face. I love that stuff. But listen... You've got to maintain that fire. Amen. 
It's not how big your fire was when you got saved. It's will your fire be going when the thing's done. Some of you in here tonight, you know what? It's smoldering. And you're like, man, Lord, I don't even know if I got embers left. You're here, you're sitting in a pew, but boy, that fire is just about out. Or some of you in here, you know what you're doing? You're looking at the lives of other people and you're looking at flames that used to be sky high. And you're saying, Lord, I think that I think that, that fire's out. You know what you need tonight? You need, you need somebody to breathe on that fire. Because church, we need to keep that thing burning. I need to keep that thing burning. Why? Because my kids need to see that it's burning. And the folks I work with need to see that it's burning. And my family up north that's not safe, they need to see something burning. Folks, we got people watching us. And they need to see not just another smoldering fire. Because so many people's fires are going out. And your fire could be out sitting in a pew tonight. And you're burdened down. And it's cold and it's raining. But I'm telling you, what you need tonight is God take that little leaf blower. Come over and just blow on that fire. That's what you need tonight. That's what I need. I was thinking about that thing this morning. Pastor was... We sang that song and the pastor was talking this morning and I gave that testimony. When was the last time I sat down on my bed and on my stomach and 50 pages seemed like it was five? That hurt me. You know, when was the last time I went outside underneath a tree and found me a rough secluded place and just said, Lord, I just want to let you know that I'm still, I'm still signed up for whatever it takes. You know, when was the last time I was at the gas station and the person across the, across the way literally broke my heart to where I couldn't get back in my truck before I gave him a gospel track? Right? I said, what's the problem? I'm smoldering a little bit. I need God to, blow, to, to breathe on me a little bit. That's what I need. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for letting us come to church tonight. I hope that maybe tonight, I know it was real simple, nothing real crazy here tonight, but God, I know I need it. Um, hopefully it was a blessing. And Father, I try to do the best of what you told me to do. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that if there be anybody in here tonight that, Lord, maybe they're just feeling like my fire is going out. And if something doesn't happen, Lord, if, if you don't blow on me, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, Father. I pray that you would. God, I pray that you'd do something for somebody here tonight. I know it's Sunday night. I know it's been a little bit somber. I know it's been a little bit, you know, mellow. We've got a lot of sickness, a lot of, you know, the cold happens, the season changes, all that kind of stuff. There's less sunlight. All those things factor into how people, you know, how they feel and how they are emotionally, God. But God, I pray that you'd maybe work through all that stuff tonight. And Father... Help us to look inwardly. And Father, do we have our fires burning? Father, are we, uh, can we, are, are we hiding them under a bushel, Lord? Or are they just smoldering and all we see is smoke and there's no flames left, God? Help us tonight. I pray that you would do something for somebody here tonight. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.